Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. It's Mike. I hope you're doing well. A couple of announcements I wanted to make. First of all, today's episode was going to include both Deb Radwan and Adele Chalifu. Adele got in touch with me, said that she had some other things going on. So we will have Adele on probably in our second season, but today's episode is just going to be Deb, and we're going to be talking about Salute today from the 1983 album. Also wanted to let you know that Carefree Highway Revisited is going to be taking a season break through all of August and the first two weeks in September. Now, don't worry, this is not the end of the show. I am coming back. And I do have guests lined up for quite a few weeks. The thing is that the school year is starting again in August. And I want to be able to focus my attention and my energy on getting into the school year successfully before I get back to podcasting. Okay, thank you. On with the show. The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think has ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot. Listen, mister, I won't waste your time. I hope all the mistakes you made were a lot like mine. Loving girls too much sometimes, they made you cry. Maybe we've got more living to do with a lot less pain. Here's to you. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today is a fellow Lightfoot fan making her sixth appearance on the show, Deb Radwan. Deb, welcome back. It's good to see you again. Thank you. I love being here. So very quickly, what's new with you since the last time we had you on the show? It's been about seven months. So any new developments in your life? Uh, nothing really new. Life goes on. The only thing I'm really excited about is... Gordon's coming back to Southern California in December. Yes, he is. And I'm trying to figure out a way where I can fly down for the show. Oh, that'd be cool. So I'll let you know if I can make that happen. So that brings up uh, the question, have you seen Gord on the current tour? And if so, how was it? Haven't seen him since 20, I believe, maybe even 19. But we will be seeing him six times in December. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're going to every show. Fantastic. Yeah, I could not be more excited if I tried. Well, today we're talking about Salute from the album of the same name. And that album was recorded in 1982 and released in 1983. And the reason that I loved this song was that it's really a wake-up call to all of us middle-aged men, whether or not we've come through addiction that the best days of our life may be ahead of us. Now, that may be alluding to some sort of a midlife crisis that some of us have, 
but it's an immensely optimistic song. And yes. I really wish I had heard it a few years ago when I was going through some struggles that are akin to what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to talk about it today? Well, to be honest, this is not necessarily one of my favorite songs, but it is to me a landmark song. This was one of the first songs that he wrote and recorded after getting sober. And when I was at a concert at the Universal Amphitheater, when it was still outdoors, he made a reference that he had gone up to a meeting up at the, I don't know if it was the Hilton or the Marriott, but there was a hotel right at Universal Studios. So to me, when you hear this song, it's really the story of him becoming sober and that journey and first album, first songs after becoming sober. We talked earlier about how so many of these songs are autobiographical. This one is, and certainly of a momentous shift for him. Um, these were the first songs written without the help of booze. He says in the Lightfoot book that these were the first songs he wrote with a lot of coffee and cigarettes. Yes, and that's no exactly booze. what he said. Yes. I just thought there's a lot to say in this song about this song. And so that's why I wanted to do it. Do you have a special anecdote or something personal about what the song means to you? Well, only it's optimism. You know, here's a man who has been through drinking. I used to be married to an alcoholic and I know what that's like. And he just did it. He just said one day, I'm going to do it. And that he's got a lot more living to do. And it's such an optimistic song. And I'm so proud of him. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, uh, I just think it's a great tune. And he's so honest in this song that uh, that's why I like it. Well, he had stopped drinking in 1982. And according to him, his record company told him he was doing quote, irrational things, unquote. Yeah. And in that particular interview, he didn't expand on that. But we know that alcoholism does make one do irrational things. And it had certainly had an effect on his music and on his songwriting. So this was really refreshing. I think for me, I would love to hear this song traveling. And the reason for that is, number one, that's where I first heard it was when I was in a plane going someplace that I was anticipating. But I think also it is a song that is about movement. It's not about reflection. It's about heading somewhere metaphorically saying, OK, you've got more to do. And as the song says, you've got more living to do. You've got more loving to do. And so for me, this is one where I would always want to listen to it when I'm in my car or when I'm in a plane or something like that, going from one place to another. What about you? Uh, I agree about the driving, you know, in a car. I also think exercising when you're like sitting on that bike or a treadmill or whatever, and, you know, you don't want to go on. And then this is just such a upbeat affirmation of what you're doing, that there's still a lot more to do and keep going. And I think also just during some tough times, we've all had them, that this is just a good reminder that there is light on the other side. You know, you can get through it. Life can get better again. And there's still a lot to do. 
And I think it's also important to realize that he wrote this right after coming back from one of his canoe trips. Yes. And he Mm -hmm. does those every now and then. And it's where he really gets re-energized. He gets connected to nature again. You put that together with the sobriety and it's really a tour de force for him to be ready to write new material. And we'll talk a little bit more about how this particular song and this particular record were received in a little while, but let's get into the lyrics of it right now. Mm -hmm. Listen, mister, I won't waste your time. I hope all the mistakes you made were a lot like mine. Right away, this is not one of his poetic songs. He's just getting to the point here. We don't really know who he's talking to at this particular moment. Could be some acquaintance, could be somebody he actually met. He could be talking to himself. He says he hopes the mistakes that they made are similar, and I'm not sure if he's doing that so that he can relate to them or so that his audience can understand the lesson he's about to impart. At that concert, he said he had gone to a meeting, and I imagine him walking into the meeting, walking over, shaking someone's hand, and said, I'm not going to waste your time. I hope you've gone through the same thing I have. Let's talk about it you know, laying it on the line and saying, I I hope you can help me. And you've been through the same shit I've been through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't know a whole lot in the book or in the documentary Mm -hmm. or the things about his experience with 12 step groups, but thank God that he's had it because when you're trying to overcome alcoholism, I'm not sure it can be done alone. I don't know that he went to a lot because he has said that He just quit cold turkey, but it made it sound at that concert like, you know, that day he needed a little reinforcement. And he said, I went right up here, went to a meeting with other like-minded people who have been through similar experiences. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Salute. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. The world at war. Two lives in the balance. Who will live to see another day? The leader of the free world or a man falsely accused of treason? In this new dramatic audio series, A Date with Death, Helen Meeker has to make that choice and time is running out. Assigned to exposing an espionage ring operating on American and British soil, Helen must outwit bank robbers, avoid booby traps, and even have dinner with a dead man. When the date with death is over, who's picking up the check? Ace Collins' best-selling World War II novella, A Date with Death, comes to life in this production by the Long Highway Players. Available on a podcast feed near you, A Date with Death is a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. We do know that some of the irrational behavior that we alluded to a minute ago can involve and does involve womanizing when it comes to Gord. And that brings us into the next bit. Right. Loving girls too much sometimes they made you cry. Now, originally, when I read this, I thought, okay, he's doing the old Jimmy Buffett. You know, some people claim that there's a woman to blame. Yeah. But it also seems like he's taking some sort of responsibility for being a womanizer because we know that he's done that since then. And we know that he had that as part of his his past. And it's not something that he's proud of, but at least it's something that he's acknowledging here. Yeah. And this was, I believe, just after Kathy Smith. 
I think that was a very deep relationship, even though he was a womanizer. He says in that documentary, I loved her. I wanted to marry her. And they parted ways. And she went off with other people. So I think she hurt him terribly. And uh, I think this could be a reference to that as well. Yeah, he's being a little oblique about it, but you're right. Maybe we've got more living to do with a lot less pain. And he's either saying you don't need the pain that's been brought on to you and to them, meaning the women in, in the question here. But all of that is there's alcohol behind all that saying you don't need the alcohol to get by and you certainly don't need a woman to stay around okay you don't need to be womanizing you to it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly you don't need that in order to live here let's drink to you he is sober by that time and so when he's saying here let's drink to you i think there's a little irony there but we don't know what he's drinking i think it's a little humor you know yeah Uh, here he is talking about being sober. I'm not going to drink. Let's drink to that. And I think yeah. it's a little humor thrown in yeah. there. Yeah. If you didn't know about Lightfoot's situation in his past, you wouldn't get the reference. Right. You wouldn't get right. the joke if it is a joke. But right. you and I sitting here and we can get it. Then a new verse. These are words I knew would break the ice. So now he's kind of shifting his perspective. Okay. His first, it was sort of giving dialogue and now he's become the narrator in this dialogue and if we didn't know that he had been in a meeting you might think he was in a bar right you know because you know let's drink to you right breaking the ice you know Mm -hmm. because he's meeting a stranger or someone he doesn't know at all so he's switching his perspective i held my hand out and he shook it twice it seemed to me like i've been here before deja vu familiar voice and the salute of my choice so he's thinking he's been in this situation where he's been drinking his sorrows away or he's been consoling someone with a drink but in this case he's talking to somebody who is trying to get sober or to stay sober right and so he's commiserating Right. He's relating. To it. Yeah. He's relating. But this again is a new experience for him, you know, because right. he's been sort of, I don't want to say constantly intoxicated, but repeatedly intoxicated, right. you know, for many, many years. It is very typical male behavior in terms of the womanizing, where you are in love with someone or you think you're in love with someone and then you lose that person and you pour yourself into a bottle. And that is something that American and Canadian men and probably men all over the world do. And when it becomes cyclical, then becomes very, very destructive. I think here he also may be referring to hearing other people's stories and he's saying, I've been there before. Familiar voice. That story is my story. And then even the whole idea of salute, and this is something that people, and again, men in particular, but I'm sure women do it too, you know, salute each other by toasting each other saying, well, let's drink to the prospect of a good business deal, or let's drink to the 49ers, or let's drink to, if you're Saturday Night Live fan, Bill Brasky. Well, and and in, uh, in another language, sometimes you'll hear them hoist a glass and say salute. Mm -hmm, Which is health. Yeah, Yeah. to your health. It sounds like salute. Yeah, and he did actually get the idea for the album, I heard, off of a Spanish uh, tourism poster. Yes. Uh, And, you know, salute is Spanish for health. Right. So if you're toasting someone, that would make sense. 
And considering he just is sober, that could be why he named it Salute. Very no, likely. Or Salute. Salute, gentlemen of days gone by, ladies of leisure and of flashing eye. Maybe he's talking about guys he used to get drunk with. That's what um, I think. Rich women or women of no particular occupation, if you get my meaning, yes. uh, that he flirted with and they flirted with him and they went to bed together. May some romantic fool turn on your light. And this line has a couple of different meanings, I think. Okay, he could be saying that he hopes someone with good idealistic intention comes along, shows them the light, tries to bring them out of that lifestyle. Right of alcoholism and promiscuity okay mm -hmm. or he could be a little bit more sarcastic saying well if you're happy falling for romantic fools then mm -hmm. i wish you well so what do you think he's talking about in that line really i think you know when you are coming out of alcoholism and you failed and maybe you've lost relationships from it and estranged with friends. And I think you're feeling pretty low. And I think here he's just saying, I hope someone comes in and brightens your life again, and that they turn your light back on. Because I think it's pretty easy in that period of time for your light to go out. Everything is a struggle. You want that drink. You know, your life is pretty much focused around not taking the drink. You may have, like I said, ruined relationships. So I think that's just a a wish that someone will come and turn your light back on. So this is genuine well-wishing. I think so. Yeah, I think you're probably right because it's such an optimistic song. He's yeah. trying to be optimistic for them too. Right, exactly. As opposed to just saying, well, do your own thing, but I think All it's... Right, good luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Salute. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Radio is so much different than it was in the 80s. We had it all. The music, the movies, the DJs, and morning shows. Back to the 80s Radio is a show from the 80s in podcast form. We bring the memories from that awesome decade back. Join Toscano and Chang every Friday as they take you on a ride back in time, sharing their experiences and laughs. Stop on by and discover some of the wacky things this crazy duo comes up with. They talk about it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the greatest decade. Don't miss the greatest 80s podcast in the world. Back to the 80s Radio. As for me, I'm in between. All that I can do is dream. So he was unmarried at this particular time. He was no longer with Kathy Smith. Right. I don't know what the timing was on that, but he was certainly was close, single but... as far as we know. Right. And then we get to the chorus. And I thought this was kind of interesting because we're almost 25% of the way through the song before we actually get to the chorus. Right. And this, I'm in between. I think of that also as in between drinking and completely sober. He's mm -hmm. in that in-between space of staying sober and in between women. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's a twofold meaning there. Yeah, could very well be. You got a lot more living to do and a lot more loving too. And the unwritten part of there is without the alcohol. Right. And you're in a position where the next part of your life or in the case of middle-aged men mm -hmm. could be a whole lot better than the first half. Right. And so it is intensely 
optimistic with that. When you make it through the night with no end in sight, I love that line. You yeah. know, there's a night with no end in sight, but you made it to the end. That's right. And the dawn peeks through. You got a lot more living to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Salute nightingales upon the tide. And this seems like a female image, and it could be sirens or mermaids that lure sailors to their death, but he could be just talking about women in general. you have any thoughts on that? To be truthful, and this one and the next line kind of uh, stumped me. I really am not sure what he's referring to. Um, he wants to salute them. So I, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, riding the tide and I don't know. That's, yeah. It's a line that's, that really gives me some questions. Yeah. I mean, it's nice writing, but I'm not really sure what the, um, right. The thinking is, I mean, if we take the idea of nightingales upon the tide, okay, these are they could it sounds like a mermaid or a siren brothers of the cloth when you think of that i looked that phrase up it usually refers to soldiers see and um, i thought it maybe meant to meant um priests uh ministers because they call them men of the cloth too men of the cloth but not necessarily brothers of the cloth unless That's you're talking true. about monks that's true. Uh, but, you know, and that, but the next line, you know, may all your martinis be forever dry. And it sounds like what he's saying is that these two groups of people, the nightingales and the brothers are the cloth. Okay. They're still there drinking. Yeah. Um, and so he's saying, may all your martinis be forever dry. In other words, now he's saying, if this is the lifestyle you've chosen, I hope that you continue to enjoy it. And maybe there's a little bit of helplessness there saying, okay, well, you haven't gotten to the point yet. You haven't touched bottom, whatever phrase you want to use where you're ready to turn your life around. Yeah. When he said about the martinis, I took that to mean that they were dry of alcohol. So he's still wishing these partiers, the ones who are riding the tide and who are still tried by the struggle that their martinis are dry. And I kind of took the dry rather than vermouth <laughs> should be without alcohol. Yeah, um, it could be. I mean, I, when you always think of dry martinis, though, you think yeah. of the idea of the vermouth. Right, you don't right. think of uh, the idea that my glass is empty. Yeah, I thought this was more of like a pun, a play on words, you yeah. know. Could well be. And then he repeats the, right. as for me, I'm in between, and then the chorus, and then the song fades out. So we'll talk a little bit about the musical aspects of it. One thing that I noticed today as I was driving home from uh, the hospital, I had to take my son to get an x-ray. I mean, I listened to this song on the way home. And the thing that I noticed is that in this song, you can barely hear any acoustic guitar. And in that sense, it is almost unheard of for Gord's either six string or 12 string to right. not be up front. That's a very rare thing. Right. In the light foot cannon. If there is any acoustic guitar on this, it's completely buried down in the mix. Mm. That's a real change. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that, either positive or negative. 
Well, I think he did it deliberately. He was looking for more of a pop sound. The people that he got to work on this album, the one producer had produced Thriller. So I think it was deliberate. It was not a sound that when I first heard the album, I was disappointed that there wasn't more acoustic. And my interest really went to the acoustic numbers like Naughty Pine and Whispers of the North and that kind of thing. However, again, this was a shift a big shift in his life. And I think he was juxtaposing that with a shift in his music, whether it was to make a point or to say I've changed or things are different now. That was a deliberate thing on his mind. I'm not a big fan of what I consider overproduced tunes, but I do like the way when it comes to, as you said, there's a lot of stanza and lyrics before we get to there's a lot more living to do. And that there's a lot more living to do to me is a, like a big crescendo, almost like riding that wave in. So I do like that aspect of it. There's kind of a lead up to that message. And again, you can't beat the optimism. He'd call this a toe tapper. And uh, <laughs> I like that. The thing that I didn't like about it there was a criticism I was going to have was that I thought he waited too long to inject the chorus because especially in the 80s, there's going to be maybe a verse, maybe a second short verse, but then you get to the theme, you get to the chorus, you get to something you can really be hooked on. And since there's no authentic riff in this, you know, like a very recognizable guitar riff right? uh, in this song, I thought to myself at the very first time I listened to it, okay, another verse, another verse, get on with it. And it may be one of the reasons that it didn't work particularly well as a single. We'll come back to that in a minute. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Salute. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. was Gord's vocal. We've talked about the instrumentation and the production and things like that. But to me, this showed that Gord had some chops for rock and roll. And if I hadn't known better, I would think this guy has always been a rock singer. He's not Mm -hmm. a folk singer. He's not a pop singer. He's not a singer songwriter. I mean, this guy is a rocker. So that was my initial reaction to it. The arrangement in itself, of course, I wanted some acoustic guitar on it. The rest of it, okay, it was a product of its time. So is there anything that you did like about the musical aspect of the song? The musical aspect, you know, I'm a lyric gal. So for me, it was really his voice, as always, uh, the range that he showed by doing this, but the lyrics, the optimism, knowing a little bit about the backstory to me gave the song more meaning 
But when I think of the actual melody, you know, I would have liked a little more acoustic in there. It bears going through some of the names of the people who played on this Mm -hmm. besides Lightfoot. Before I do that, I should mention, looking at the album credits, there is no acoustic guitar at all that is mentioned in the album credits. I cannot for the life of me imagine that Gord would not have had some acoustic guitar somewhere, but if there is, it's mentioned as rhythm guitar, not as acoustic Um, guitar, six string, 12 string. Terry Clements did play lead guitar. Rick Haynes played bass. Dean Parks is the producer that you were talking about. He was brought in to give a more top 40 feel. He did play lead guitar and he also played synthesizer and he was listed as the co-producer of the album. Barry Keane played drums. Hadley Hawkinsmith played bass and played the high string bass. And the high string bass is a real 80s innovation. That's um, a great he, name. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. He has worked with Neil Diamond for a very long time and also has worked in studios with sessions of some of the Christian acts that are very popular in the 80s and the 90s. Mike Heffernan, of course, is still with the band playing piano and, and keyboards. Pee Wee Charles played steel, although I don't think there was any steel on this particular song. Harlan Rogers played piano, also known for working in the Christian music world. And then Carol Parks did harmony vocals, although if she played on or if she sang on this song, it wasn't particularly prominent. I think Gord just doubled his his vocal on this, which is much more characteristic. Carol Parks has since passed away. The song has only been played 15 times in concert, from what I can tell, all of them in the 1980s. The first one, probably while he was still promoting Salute, I think Salute came out in March or April of 1983. And the first time he played it in concert was in September of 1983 at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. And then more recently, he played it down in your neck of the woods, uh, which was at the Greek Theater in L.A. And that was in September of 1988. He hasn't played it since. And if he's played it on the current tour, I can't find it. Has he ever played it in any performances that you've ever seen? I don't think it's been, it was a lot, but I would say at least a couple times in the 80s when the album first came out and he was promoting the album okay so Um, it was in its context yes but after that i don't think i've heard that yeah and people don't go to concerts to hear songs they missed along the way um Mm -hmm. they usually go to concerts to hear the hits there's a great song about paul simon complaining to bob dylan you know every show I do, you know, they only want me to play Homeward Bound and the Sounds of Silence and Bridge Over Troubled Water. And Dylan said, well, if I were going to your show, that's what I would want to hear. That's right. James Taylor made a joke at one of his concerts that he introduced Fire and Rain. And he said, little did I know then that I would play this song every day of my life for the rest of my life. Yeah. And another Jimmy Buffett reference. Okay. His greatest hits album was called Songs You Know By Heart. And he plays those 10 or 12 songs or however many every single show that he does. Well, the song was released as a single, but it did not chart in any of the markets where he has usually charted. Not in Canada, not in the US, not in Australia, not in New Zealand. His charting record in the UK is a little more thready, but it didn't chart there either. 
it's only the second time since 1967 that he put out a single that didn't make the charts. In My Fashion, which we've talked about on this show, mm-hmm. did not make the charts either as a single. Before that, you have to go all the way back to 1967, and I think that may have been the Way I Feel record. The album went to 59 in Canada, and it went to 175 on the U.S. Billboard 200. So not terribly impressive. What Jennings had to say about it was that the album wasn't particularly cohesive. I haven't played the album from beginning to end, so I I can't really say that. The title wasn't particularly appealing. We've talked about what the origin of the title was. But when I first saw the album cover, I thought this is another greatest hits thing or it's some tribute album, you know, salute Mm -hmm. to you, Gordon Lightfoot. So it was a little misleading. And the other reason was that the production was too top 40s. It was too much of an attempt to pop when Gord is basically an acoustic based artist. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. I think it was, and there are some great tunes on there. They are mostly, in my opinion, the acoustic songs, you know, the Whispers of the North and Naughty Pine and those things, which he still will occasionally sing in concert. But I think for the Lightfoot fan who was with him through the 70s, that this album had to have been a little bit of a surprise and maybe not a welcome one from his usual troubadour-esque acoustic sound. And I think Lightfoot did say later that he wished he would have named it Naughty Pine or Whispers of the North, something that was a little bit more indicative of his normal style. Yeah. And I think at that point, he felt like he had to do this to stay relevant in some way, because the music industry and the tastes of the people had really changed since 1975, 1976. That's right. And he figured, okay, well, it's a new start for me. I've got a new approach. Right. I quit drinking. He had seen his sales go down with Endless Wire and mm-hmm. uh, with Shadows, although I loved the Shadows album. And so, so now he's thinking to himself, okay, well, I've got to stay relevant if I want to stay on my label. And So this is the result. And he has pretty much left it untouched in terms of his live repertoire since then. And perhaps appropriately or, you know, apropos of that, no one has ever covered the song. Yeah. I personally think that this could have been a great song for the closing credits of a movie because it is optimistic and because it does sort of bring the viewer, send the viewer, the listener out into the world by saying, okay, there's more to do. It's kind of an inspiring song. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because so many movies, the character goes through some kind of crisis or some low point and then brings themselves out of it. That's a typical movie theme. And so I think you're right. I think it would have made a great soundtrack. Yeah, well, maybe somebody who's listening can get that, you know, and talk to the people at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Deb, I don't think anybody can or should cover this song. Um, I think it deserves to stand as it is for all of the reasons we've talked about and some others that we haven't. But I wish someone would perform it, either Lightfoot or somebody else, for a group of people that are gathered to celebrate their sobriety. Yeah, great idea. Deb Radwan, thank you again for joining us. It's always a lot of fun to talk to you about Lightfoot's music. This is appearance number six, which is far and away the record. 
and <laughs> love to have you on the show again in the second season. Great. I always enjoy talking about Gordon and the songs. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you like this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is www.lightfootpodcast.com, and our Patreon page is www.patreon.com slash carefreehighwayrevisited. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Our next episode will be coming out in late July, right before our season break, and we'll have Jim Thorne on. He'll be coming to talk about, did she mention my name? Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time break and we'll have Jim Thorne on. He'll be coming to talk about, did she mention my name? Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.